Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 747 for the 11th of June, 2021. This week, sometimes the best software choice is an application that's been created by a developer who offers it for free or for just a donation. Let's consider some of those today. In short circuits, watch out for vicious pups. Now, this isn't going to be an anti-dog tirade, but an explanation of how to avoid potentially unwanted programs, pups. Have you ever felt that your internet service provider doesn't really care about the quality of service you're getting? Individual complaints may go nowhere, but there is power in collective complaining. In spare parts only on the website, the COVID pandemic was a disaster no matter how you look at it, but some people did manage to update their skills during the past year. Version 89 of Firefox released at the end of May has a more modern appearance, faster operation, and improved security. And 20 years ago, I was amazed by being able to talk to my older daughter in Columbus while I was heading for San Ysidro from San Diego on a trolley. Today, that would still be unusual because seemingly only a few people actually use mobile phones to make phone calls. Computer users can choose from a variety of applications for just about every task, but sometimes the best choice can be an application for which the developer asks only a donation, and sometimes one that's provided for free without even a donation request. Let's consider some of those. Social Fixer is a browser add-on that I described recently, so I'll be brief this time. Facebook can be most annoying, and Social Fixer eliminates some of the annoyances and reduces the others. It works only with browsers, not with the Facebook app on mobile devices. You'll find it in your browser's add-ons or extensions page. Social Fixer is provided for free, and the developer does request donations. I send a few dollars several times a year. Cuter is another free application, but the developer does accept donations. Instead of viewing just a single directory as the Windows File Explorer does, Cuter makes it possible to view up to four folders simultaneously. That explains the name. Cuter is short for quad directory. That alone is worth installing it if you have to move or copy files frequently from one location to another. I gave Cuter a try around 2006 and immediately installed it on every computer I own. It's possible to set up favorites, and one that I use frequently opens a two-panel view with website development files on the left, website production directories on the right. Another shows four directories that I often use together. You can download Cuter from the developer's website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. As text editors go, Notepad should go, that is, far and preferably soon. It's just not really much of a text editor. 
When you're using a text editor, you can do just one thing, write and edit words. That's one of the reasons that I start most TechBiter Worldwide articles in a text editor most of the time. Although I generally use Ultra Edit Studio, I keep a copy of Notepad++ on the computer because sometimes it's a better choice. Notepad++ is more than a text editor. It offers features that software developers will like, so regardless of how you might use a text editor, it's a good application to consider. Notepad++ includes several plugins and a plugin manager so that users can obtain other plugins or even create their own. Even if you're not a developer, a text editor helps writers by forcing them to focus entirely on the words instead of thinking about formatting. Software developers will like the fact that Notepad++ supports syntax highlighting and folding, code folding that is, for nearly 30 programming languages also supports regular expressions and synchronized edits. You can download Notepad++ from the developer's website, and yes, there's a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Windows starts a lot of processes and services at boot time, and some of the applications you've installed may also start additional processes that display information in the notification area or simply run quietly in the background. When Windows tries to start all of those applications simultaneously, the result can be a slowdown caused by contention between the various processes. Even if you're running a fast, solid-state boot drive, Startup Delayer can help by organizing dozens of applications and processes that start with Windows. And if you've installed applications you want to start with Windows, but you don't need them to start instantly, you can have Startup Delayer postpone them. I use TechSmith's Snagit every day, but I can delay it for about 90 seconds without causing a problem. Likewise, I want Spotify to be running, but I let Startup Delayer run it five minutes after the computer boots. If you're running anything but the very latest hardware, and maybe even if you are running the latest hardware, and if you depend on more than just a few applications to start when the computer starts, Startup Delayer can be even more beneficial. Download Startup Delayer from R2 Studios. That's the developer. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. If you've ever tried to delete a file that you no longer need and you've been stopped by a message that says, cannot delete file, access is denied, or file is in use by another process, you probably muttered an epithet or two at the computer, rebooted the machine, and tried again. Maybe you were able to delete the file then, or maybe not, because sometimes even rebooting won't release a locked file. Before continuing down this path, let me issue this warning. If a file is still locked following reboot, make sure you know what the file is and make sure that you really want to delete it. Deleting an important file can cause a lot of trouble. Rebooting probably isn't essential if you're sure that you want to delete a file after confirming that you no longer need it. Let's say you're editing a file in Word and you decide you no longer want it. When you try to delete it, though, you get an error message. If the file is still open in Word, closing it should release the lock so you can delete it. But sometimes the file remains locked. And in some cases, there is a legitimate need to delete a file even though it is still in use by an application. LockHunter makes it possible to delete these stuck files without having to restart the computer. 
at least most of the time. In cases where that's not possible, you can have LockHunter mark the file for deletion at boot time. After installing LockHunter, you'll find it in the context menu, so right-clicking a file will let you call LockHunter. You can download LockHunter from the developer's website. Check the link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Cuter and later versions of the Windows File Explorer treat zip files like a directory, but I still prefer to use a zip utility, and I consider 7-Zip to be the best, especially if you need to create zip files. 7-Zip has its own proprietary format, 7-Z, which offers tighter compression and better security than standard zip files. But because you can't count on most people to have 7-Zip, sticking with the standard zip format is usually a better choice. Choose the 7-Z format when you're sending files that need better security to someone who has 7-Zip. 7-Zip can handle just about any compressed file format, and that includes Microsoft Office files such as DocX and XLSX files. Files for Word and Excel really are just zip files with non-zip extensions. Word files, for example, contain context types XML, a doc props directory with more XML files, a Word directory with several subdirectories and more XML files, and a RELS directory. 7-Zip lets you examine them, and sometimes this can be very helpful if the Word or Excel file has been corrupted. You can then look through the various components and extract the data. 7-Zip can create and extract files from 7-Z, XZ, BZIP2, GZIP, TAR, ZIP, and WIM archives. And it can also be used to extract files from more than 20 other archive formats, such as ISO, RAR, WIM, and Z archives. Although compression ratios depend on the type of data being compressed, the 7Z format is 30 to 70% smaller than ZIP format. And even if you stick with the standard ZIP format, 7Zip generally provides slightly better compression. Download 7-Zip from the developer's website. You'll find a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, nobody likes pups. This is not an anti-dog message just another in the series of security posts. This week, it's about potentially unwanted programs, PUPs. PUPs are also known as PUAs, potentially unwanted applications. No matter what you call them, they're bad news. PUPs can compromise privacy or weaken a computer's security by replacing the user's preferred search engine or by displaying advertisements or even by watching for information that would be valuable to data thieves. Some companies bundle a wanted program download with a wrapper application that installs additional components without asking. 
Sometimes these unexpected extras are shown during the installation, but in many cases they're hidden away on an advanced installation dialog that you won't see if you use the recommended installation procedure. Pups also may be referred to as bundleware, and they are presented to computer users as wonderful free extras. They are rarely wonderful and rarely free. Most pups can be removed via settings, apps, apps, and features, but you have to know what they're called to find them. The IOBit uninstaller can help find them because it explicitly lists bundleware. You'll find a link to the IOBit uninstaller on the TechBiter Worldwide website, but watch out! IOBit applications are well known for having their own bundleware that will be installed unless you opt out during the installation. And yes, there is a certain irony here. The IOBit uninstaller is a good application. Just be very careful when you install it. Wikipedia points out that some unwanted software bundles install root certificates on a user's device, which allows hackers to interpret private data, such as banking details, without a browser giving security warnings. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security advises removing insecure root certificates because they make computers vulnerable to serious cyber attacks. So when downloading applications, always get them from the developer's website if you can, or from a site such as Older Geeks that doesn't populate download pages with highly visible buttons that lead to unwanted applications. There's a link to Older Geeks in this week's TechBiter Worldwide. The Older Geeks site refuses to engage in this common practice, and it is the best choice if the developer doesn't provide direct downloads. Avoiding these unwanted applications is much better than uninstalling them. Being cautious when installing new applications will avoid most of them. Watch for populated checkboxes that are unrelated to the main application. Unchecky can scan software agreements and uncheck options that would install potentially unwanted programs, but they won't catch everything. There's a link to Unchecky on the TechBiter Worldwide website. When an application offers both standard and advanced or custom installation options, always choose that advanced or custom option. Then look for any extras that the application wants to include. If you'd like to read more, check out How to Install Windows Software Without the Bundled Junk on the Make Use Of website. And of course, there is a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website to the Make Use Of website. What can you do when your internet connection becomes so inconsistent that it's virtually unusable and the ISP's level one technicians are so uninformed that they simply blow off complaints? That's where collective complaining can help. The area where I live has a private Facebook page where residents can ask each other about products and services, alert each other about scammers working the neighborhood, arrange for visits by food trucks, and discuss problems with electrical service and the internet service providers in the area. There had been a number of serious complaints about an ISP for approximately two weeks. The number of people complaining kept increasing. Many of them reported that they couldn't even get the ISP's customer service technicians to listen. I am not going to identify the internet service provider because this is a problem that all of them seem to have. 
at least occasionally. Three ISPs serve my neighborhood. I started with one provider but bailed out many years ago. After a rough start with the second provider, service became generally good and reliable. When squirrels chewed the cable at the pole a few years ago, the ISP quickly replaced the line. But service has been iffy for the past year or so, and I was one of the people who was experiencing severely degraded service. After two weeks, I was almost ready to consider the third provider, even though it would be from a company that I had vowed I would never do business with. Almost. And then a neighbor on the Facebook group stepped up with an offer. And I'm not going to identify the neighbor either, even though everyone in the Facebook local group knows that person's name. The problem I was experiencing was extreme inconsistency. The service I've signed up for offers 100 megabits per second download speed, 10 megabits per second upload speed. That is sufficient for my needs because it's rare for there to be more than one streaming video operation in service, and often not even that. But when the speed drops to 230 kilobits per second, the service is simply unusable. Web pages can take 30 seconds or more to load. Even small email attachments can take minutes. The VPN my wife uses to connect to the office frequently loses its connection. Zoom meetings are impossible. The person volunteered to collect information from those of us who were experiencing severe problems and to bring them to the attention of his representative with the ISP's commercial service division. In all, some 80 people provided him with their addresses and a description of their problems. Some examples. Our internet goes in and out for short times all day long. Web pages don't want to load. Music streaming is impossible. Slow. And sometimes I have to try multiple times to get on frequent short internet outages, slow speeds for downloading attachments, intermittent very slow or non-loading web pages, nearly constant buffering or inability to play video streams at all. Internet connects off and on all day, not for long, maybe five to ten minutes at a time, but at least five times a day. When we call service, run through the same old procedures, and they say it's fixed now. Internet service providers can ignore individual users or use technobabble to intimidate them, but when 80 people are able to make their voices heard by communicating through someone who has a commercial account and a knowledge of network operations, good things happen. Within two days, the issue had bubbled up to the district sales manager and then to top management at the ISP. And then, surprise! They have apparently located a major issue and reportedly resolved it. Feedback from users in the area was quick. One person said, my connectivity has been good today. I have not noticed the slowdowns or video buffering. Things have been good today on my end, said another. I'm cautiously optimistic. And others had messages such as, confirm, yesterday was good, today has been good. So, it is clear that individuals can be ignored by poorly trained technicians technicians in name only. But if enough people make enough noise, there's a much better chance that the problem will be resolved. There are no problems with spare parts, or at least I think there aren't. Find out for yourself by visiting the TechBiter Worldwide website and checking out these articles. The COVID pandemic was a disaster, no matter how you look at it, but some people managed to update their skills during the past year. 
Version 89 of Firefox, released at the end of May, has a more modern appearance, faster operation, and improved security. And 20 years ago, I was amazed by being able to talk to my older daughter in Columbus while I was headed for San Isidro from San Diego on a trolley. That would still be unusual today because seemingly only a few people actually use mobile phones to make phone calls. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.